Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and french fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. There was a giant fistful of hair on the floor. One of Cardi's assistants came and grabbed it and took it with her. As for the shoe, sources tell us someone from Nikki's camp was heard saying, keep it. (laughs) And we're back with an all new episode (laughs) keep it. I think the chances are about 11% that has to do with us. Nikki follows me. 11 is generous. Yeah. So, well, I would say the chances are 2011. <laughs> the year? <laughs> okay. The movie The Artist came out. What else do you want? Perhaps. <laughs> Guys, too much happened. There's this a week. lot happening this week. There was a lot happening. You know how I know a lot was happening this week? Yeah. So many people were in my mentions being like, can't wait can't to keep wait. it yeah. this week. Yeah. Which I prefer to some of you people in my mentions talking about our ads being oh, don't too even. long. I don't care. It's, I think they're too good is the problem. I think they're great. I, I, I also think the show is free. Ira is crying hysterically right now. He's <laughs> very <laughs> wounded. I am. I feel, I feel I'm mortified. <laughs> In front of the fashion community. In front of the fashion community. Okay. I was wearing a Jean-Paul Gaultier dress to the studio today crying about these ads. Anyway, we are going to talk about Cardi and Nikki today. So many things. We're going to talk about Serena. We're going to talk about Les Moonves. We're going to talk about Janet Jackson. Ooh. We're going to talk about Olivia Munn. Ah. We're going to talk about Ariana Grande. Ah. There's lots Ladies of, night. There's also a lot of horrible men like woven into this. And I can I just say, if men are going to be horrible, space it out. I mean, I don't want to put it all in one episode. If I they're going to be horrible, uh, when? Yeah, that's what when I'm saying. Schedule it. Yeah. Yeah, we don't have time for you all to be awful in the span of like 36 hours. Yeah. You've got to give us this a like bit We of didn't it. start the fire of horrible men this week. Jesus. Wow. Coming up later in the episode, we have Jenny Han, the author of To All the Boys I Loved Before, and I am excited to dive into the literary world of romance with her. I'm so excited. She is never done trolling. She <laughs> loves it. That was Azalea Banks Ugh. commenting on the fight that happened Friday night between Cardi B and Nicki Minaj at Harper's Bazaar's Icons party. <laughs> <laughs> that was part of New York Fashion Week. I love that sentence. Cardi B and Nicki Minaj got into a fight at Harper's Bazaar's icons party it sounds like a book joan rivers writes (laughs) not completely sure what their fight was about cardi allegedly approached nikki's table because nikki is on the cover and she was being celebrated and cardi was like you need to stop talking about my child Mm -hmm. you need to stop trying to block my money Mm -hmm. um the same accusations that remy ma yeah um said about Nikki before. What we do know is that Cardi threw her shoe at Nikki (laughs) and a security guard elbowed Cardi in the forehead and she was escorted out of the party. She was. With a knot on her forehead. But head held high. Yes. (laughs) A torn Dolce & Gabbana dress. But by the way. And barefoot. A hell of a knot. Wasn't it? It was was like a a square foot. Did you watch the footage? Because one of the the things that I found. I did. It really was like the most perfect. Come here, bitch. Yeah. Come here, bitch. But it was like the most perfect representation (laughs) of the difference between Nikki and Cardi, where people forget that like Cardi will fight you. Like Cardi is like Remy Ma. Like Remy Ma went to 
full-ass prison for stabbing her friend. When you look, it's not even, it wasn't or, even or really a- she shot f- her. Well, yeah, yeah she, she might have shot her. Yeah, she gunshots through bellies. But she might, <laughs> but Nikki, Nikki was, it wasn't even really a fight because Nikki was standing behind her bodyguard. Like, granted, that's her bodyguard's job is to protect her. But Nikki's always the one that's out here like, pull up, pull up. And I'm like, girl, you weren't trying to pull up on anything when she Cardi was, came out. She was Princess Peach yeah. in Bowser's Castle. She was not going anywhere. No. And I think that that's like, I. it wasn't a good moment for any of them. And I think that was all sort of generally accepted. But the thing is, like, and the reason why you still saw people sort of defending Cardi was that... There is an authenticity about Cardi that is why she's famous and it's why she's so popular and it's why she's so much fun to watch. And that moment felt like, oh, I fully believe Cardi B tried to fight someone in like a $4,000 gown and through I 100% believe that. And Nikki, it was so representative of her just sort of like being kind of fake. Of course. And and I think that's why people were like, you prefer the kind of, you know, like uncouth authenticity of Cardi to the like shiny veneer of just sort of bullshit that Nikki has really been on lately. Right. Because the same thing happened with Remy, you know, Remy dropped Sheether and then Nikki is constantly talking about the charts and she's talking about, you know, how much she's selling. And it's like. Well, damn, like, are you going to respond, though? Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> I can't get over just the sheer amount of bad camera angles we got in this. I, I, it was like the Kennedy assassination. I was like, can someone just, like, centralize this footage down into something yeah. I can just watch? It was hard to follow. It was hard to follow. And my favorite commentary after was Nikki in, like, whatever. One, also, she claimed she didn't say anything about Cardi's child, which I sort of don't believe. She literally put Stormy on blast yeah, two like, weeks ago. Yeah, I'm like, you need to stop talking about people's babies <laughs> just from from the jump. But also, Nikki was like, it was so mortifying in front of all of those fashion people. Like, these are, like, the moral guides of the universe. Like, oh, my God, you embarrass yourself in front of rich, thin people who got invited to exclusive parties. Like, who gives a shit what they think? And that, and that was the thing, too, that sort of irritated me because I don't think Nikki believes that for one second. Right. I think that she just said that because it's a nice soundbite to say to make her come off classy. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you're out here recording songs with sex offenders. Mm. Uh, so also, I don't really think you care about being mortified right, right. in front of the fashion community. <laughs> Name a single award show Nicki Minaj has been to where she didn't go up to the stage at the dais holding the award and was like, here are four people I'm currently mad at, by the way, before the speech is up. Yeah, and like that's the thing that's becoming more clear with Nicki where she has too many problems with too many people and you're like, you're you're the only constant here. And I definitely believe that like Cardi bites too much, Cardi gets too hot, Cardi needs to roll it back. She's also 25 and like it's sort of the behavior... I think we just sort of, like I said, I think we just sort of expect that from her and don't really challenge her to be better, which is probably not a good thing. Um, Well, it's part of that whole thing, too, where people are enamored with the idea of a woman who, you know, who's like street, who's ratchet, you know, like they love that aesthetic, but then, you know, they- they forget bulk the behavior against, might come they, with. Yeah, yeah, they forget what comes with that. Yeah. They balk against it, you know, whenever they do something that's out of line. Like Although, nothing Cardi does is surprising. People cele- were celebrating Cardi online, except yeah. for the people being like, I don't like it when anybody fights. Well, that's yeah. not true. <laughs> that's the only thing I like. What are you talking about? I, no, also, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong. Did she not throw that shoe and then immediately take to Instagram to be like, here's why I threw that shoe? Yeah. So the Instagram explaining why she was fighting with Nikki dropped within seconds. I know. It was so quick. It was like she had to throw that shoe because she had set a timer for this to come out. <laughs> I, like, I'm picturing her typing on Instagram while the knot is being made on her forehead. <laughs> Let me explain why this happened. I'm also currently being beat up. Maybe the funniest thing that Nikki said was that Cardi's career has been built off sympathy and payola. Oh my God, I forgot about that. Literally, oh, oh first of all, that is a crazy. Sympathy. Who has felt bad? Who has ever like- That's how music works. Right. I feel so bad for this, but I need to buy the album. <laughs> I have to have it. Um, no, payola, if people don't know, is a term from the 50s. <laughs> About, like, people paying DJs, like, when there's, like, six radio stations in the United States to play music, 
and then it became illegal at that time. Dick Clark's career was almost ruined by payola. Except it was not. <laughs> yes, Alan Freed's career was ruined. Um, the guy who coined the term rock and roll. But anyway, what a zany thing I'll to say. say. People like love her music. She was watching music. episodes of WKRP in Cincinnati and was like, oh, payola. Also, I got it. There's <laughs> no chance on this planet that her record label has not probably paid radio right. stations to play her music. Like, And it's sort of done in like a less sort of obvious way now. But like... There are there are trades yeah. being made. Talking here, about girl. payola in 2018 yeah. is ludicrous. I also her doubling down on that rainbow demon You're on sex beat offender fucking radio every day. By the way, screaming. I, we talked about this before. I'm I'm done with these dispatches from the deep radio or wherever she lives. <laughs> yeah, this is a Good Morning Vietnam. <laughs> I'm very confused by having to listen to her talk on a radio station. Is she going to do this forever? I have no like, idea. There's got to be a timeline on this, right? Like, we're just not, well, we're she, not getting this till we die. She canceled her tour until January, the European date. So I think she's free. Oh, God. <laughs> Congrats. Congrats. And then her perhaps most egregious statement was her comparing herself to one Serena Williams. <laughs> oh, God. You know what? Harriet Tubman was yeah. one step. Was one step. This is a step too far. Way too far. Too far. Do you know how many slaves Serena has freed? <laughs> <laughs> the amount of takes yes. she has freed this week. She compared herself to Serena because, as we all know, this Saturday, Serena Williams was in a U.S. Open Grand Slam match with Naomi Osaka and... That game just went to hell. Yes. Um, umpire Carlos Ramos gave Williams a game penalty and ultimately a 17K fine for three violations. One, she said that she received coaching. Two, for smashing her racket in frustration. And three, for verbally abusing him after the first two penalties because she said that she was not going to be accused of cheating um, when he gave her the coaching violation and then she called him a thief. I thought he took the game from me, but I've seen other men call other umpires several things and I'm here fighting for women's rights and for women's equality and for all kinds of stuff. And for me to say thief and for him to take a game, it made me feel like it was a sexist remark. I mean, like, how uh, he's never took a game from a man because they said thief. <laughs> for me, it blows my mind. But I'm going to continue to fight for women and to fight for us to have equal. Like, Courtney should be able to take her shirt off without getting a fine. Like, this is outrageous, you know? And I just feel like the fact that I have to go through this is just an example for the next person that has emotions and that want to express themselves and they want to be a strong woman and they're going to be allowed to do that because of today. Maybe it didn't work out for me, but it's going to work out for the next person. So for starters, I mean, I don't think there is a single person on the planet who pisses white people off more than Serena Williams. It's just like clockwork. Every time she does something, people find a reason and they really just like show their asses when like, something with her comes up. It's like the coffee shop ran out of oat milk. They get <laughs> they incensed. Get, and I think the thing, like before you even get into like the sort of like the emotions and the things about what it says about the way black women are treated, the USTA released a statement in support of Serena. The CEO of the WTA released a statement in support of Serena and also said that they didn't believe that men and women were being treated fairly during that match. Andy Roddick said the call was ridiculous. So did James Blake. Billie Jean King wrote a piece for The Washington Post. There was also a thread on Twitter that showed the many, many times that so many men have done or said worse or similar things to that exact same umpire and they did not receive penalties or penalties extreme as Serena Williams. So first of all, I don't even like the idea of entertaining uh, the notion that she did something so much more out of line than any other tennis player ever is not a valid opinion. And it's like not even worth discussing, which is something I feel like a lot of people were coming out the gates with, with like, well, her behavior was ugly and, you know, she should have been fine and all of that bullshit. But I feel like watching Serena was so heartbreaking, in particular watching her, you know, this happened with Naomi Osaka, um, a, a 20-year-old tennis player who play, who deserved to win. And I don't think Serena even ever suggested otherwise and and no one with making a clear argument suggested otherwise but this she's half Japanese she's half Haitian um, and it was a, a moment that was ruined for her not by Serena Williams but by that umpire 
And it really was this sad feeling because you feel like as a black woman, you're not allowed to have the types of emotions that other people are, are allowed to have. And when you have an emotion, it's who you are, as opposed to a temporary thing that you're feeling. Everyone else gets to be temporarily angry as opposed to for many black women, that's just, that's who you are. Um, and, it, and it was a moment where it wasn't a great look for Serena, but in retrospect, like that sort of frustration, I very much understand. I think she should be allowed to express herself. And it really was a situation where this man wanted her to sit down and shut up and eat the bullshit that he was feeding her. And she said no. I mean, it's also a thing that we have seen happen with other men and this umpire. You know, um, at the last French Open, Nadal was yelling at him, basically um, saying that he felt that he was being properly mischaracterized by Ramos. Of course, this didn't happen to him. Um, and it also did not turn into the sort of media firestorm that happens every time mm -hmm. Serena does anything. Yeah. I mean, we were just talking about her not being allowed to wear the, the cat, cat suit. Protecting her from blood clots, uh, like two weeks ago. Yeah, which uh, was selfish, by the way. She should have accepted the blood clots. They're there to help. I her. mean, of course. <laughs> and so it's just this idea that Serena is constantly like Sisyphus rolling this boulder up a mm -hmm. hill. You know, it's like you never really think that she's going to be able to get out of it yeah. in her lifetime. And you don't understand the scope of it. Like, she was a teenager, and she and her sister were at Indian Wells, and white people were screaming nigger at them and booing them. Like, teenage girls. She has never not dealt with this for her entire life. And you cannot possibly understand the toll that having to deal with that day in and day out, especially when you're so excellent at what you do, when you've been, the whole sort of ethos of this fucking country is like, if you work hard and you're the best at what you do, it doesn't matter if you're a man it doesn't matter if you're a woman it doesn't matter what your skin color is and she's the perfect example that that's bullshit there just is no player comparable in scope in the history of tennis and even in the past 20 years so it's like it's almost like the conversation is halted because we can't like draw a parallel to anybody else you know what i mean she's so exceptional etc weirdly one of the bigger voices of i'll call it dissent was martina navratilova in the new york times and and the piece is called what serena got wrong and it's actually a pretty like She's not like coming for Serena, but weirdly something I objected to is right in the subhead of the piece, which is just because the guys might be able to get away with it doesn't mean it's acceptable. Yes, it does. What the fuck? That's, <laughs> what, that's what accepting is. Yeah. We accepted it. We accept it. Right. Uh, and also, by the way, everybody on Twitter basically said this, but comparisons were drawn to John McEnroe, who's like the most famous kind of loudmouth tennis yeah. player in history. I saw, I saw a lot of those comparisons. I mean, I wish no one would ever be compared to John McEnroe. <laughs> but by the ever. way- I wish I never had to hear his name. I mean, I don't even want to compare game show hosts to him. Right. Well, and by the way, he was a game show host. I know, I was remember. Like, what was that show called? The Moment of Truth or The Big yeah. Moment or something? Just anyway. him yelling at people on Fox. But the point is, like, he was somebody who was, like, virulently angry when he played tennis and then got broadcasting opportunities after it. So literally, we were charmed by him. It was a brand. It was a brand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? So, and I, I don't think anybody's, like, you know, Serena's outbursts are charming. And, you know, that alone means we're treating her differently. Well, and it's so much about also her being a woman because tennis in general loves to keep women classed in this sort of daintiness. You know, it's the idea that Serena is playing as an athlete at, you know, her full capabilities as opposed to how many of the other women were playing in tennis. You know, it's, it's like they keep calling Maria Sharapova her fucking rival. Right. It's like, She's nowhere near giving you the athletic ability that Serena is giving you. Serena but, and Venus changed yeah. the way people play tennis. But, you know, we don't expect women, especially in tennis, to be able to be, you know, angry at refs the way that any other athlete, not just in tennis, in any other sport is. I mean, like, imagine getting persnickety about someone yelling at a ref during an NFL game. No, I, right. I was constantly, I was just thinking about how um, there are rules in tennis that seem loose enough that you can, like, blame certain players and not blame other players. Meanwhile, I'm just saying, people, when they watch hockey, their time is set aside for people to beat the shit out of each other. Right. You know, it's like Greco-Roman fighting <laughs> is just a part of the game. I think for me, too, the biggest thing that will stay with me is watching Naomi crying and Serena 
being the one who put her arms around her, who was trying to make her feel better, who asked the crowd to stop booing and said this is made it clear that she was not mad at her. That's not what she was upset about. And I'm sure mm. she was frustrated that she lost because she's a fucking champion. And we and, and that's what ha- you, in order to be a winner, you know, there's something in you that like comes out when you're playing. But she had to, as black women often have to do, you have to pacify everyone else. Everyone else gets all upset about your reaction to something. and You have to be the one that makes everyone feel calm. There was a video I saw on Twitter this week of this white woman. This black woman was standing at a restaurant and this white woman just starts playing with her braids, just starts playing with her out of nowhere. And this girl turned to her and was like, listen, I'm in a friendly mood today, but you can't do that. <laughs> but it's that like video is it's crazy, wild, by the way, because the funniest part about it is I mean, there are two parts. The person who recorded it wrote that they started recording it because they noticed this white woman touching the black woman's hair when they entered the restaurant. Right. So that wasn't even like the first time she was touching her hair. And two. You can see that the cashier is like, what the is, fuck? Is, is about like, is yeah. she about to kill this white woman? But right, <laughs> but that's the thing. And she and had she understandably gotten angry about a stranger groping her, she would have been made that woman would have started crying and it would have been her, you know, I, I just did I liked your hair and I wanted to touch her, whatever bullshit. And and it's always the job of these of of black women to, you know, you have an emotion that everyone else gets to have and then you have to apologize for it and make everyone feel like you didn't have the emotion that you just had. I don't want to say that I I'm happy this fiasco happened, but it's I have to say it's like cool to hear Serena like talk about it and be so rad about it. And I she, have to say, and she did it. The other thing too is like she did it in part for Naomi. Like I, I don't think like yeah. specifically in that moment, but she was like, "This is this is a young up and coming tennis player who is not white, who we're going to see more of, and who will probably be treated as unfairly as I have been treated." And she was like, "I'm not letting this happen." And I think when you see Naomi in that moment, and, and I, you know, I can't speak for her, I don't know, but I think she also seems to maybe recognize that like this is this is maybe like her future too like this is the kind of shit she may have to be putting up with as she's sitting there you know having just won a grand slam yeah that's that's a very interesting point the just the fact that naomi right now is being positioned as being the calm and collected mm-hmm. one against serena mm-hmm. you know the unruly black woman i'm like wait till serena and venus are retired and Let out her of the get game mad. yeah like Who's the black woman they're going to go against next? Let her get mad at a match for unfair treatment and see how quickly they they turn on her. By the way, can I just say, if we're breaking down what Serena actually said, when she called that judge a point thief, I'm sorry, that's cute. <laughs> Picture a thief also, with a bag of points over his back. Demanding that apology. Boo, stealing her point. It says points on the bag. <laughs> demanding the apology. I just want all women everywhere to just this morning turn to a man and say, I demand an apology. I don't even care if he did something wrong. He probably owes some woman an apology, so you might as well ask for it now. We all demand apologies. Catherine Heigl's done it 20 times since breakfast. (laughs) (laughs) When we're back, (laughs) Les Moonves is out at CVS. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see footprints in the sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? (laughs) No? Uh, If you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. 
I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And <laughs> I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams' soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. (laughs) Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives have it always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. <laughs> Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. Less moon vest. <laughs> moon vest. <laughs> he is out as CEO and chairman of CBS following numerous sexual harassment and assault allegations on Sunday. Ronan Farrow published his second... The assassin, Ronan Farrow. <laughs> his second <laughs> piece on Lust, uh, detailing six new sexual misconduct allegations dating from the 80s to the 2000s. Hours later, literally hours later, CBS was <laughs> announcing that Moonvest was going to step down immediately and also not receive his exit compensation, which was rumored to be around $100 million. And also that the company is going to pay $20 million to organizations that support the Me Too movement. Uh, however, according to an SEC filing, Moonvest will still be sticking around CBS a bit longer as he will advise the company for one year in order to provide a quote-unquote smooth transition of his duties while receiving quote-unquote office services and security for up to two years. Meanwhile, by the way, it has not been a smooth transition into the new season of The Talk because Julie Chen, the wife of Les Moonves, did not appear and released a simple statement. And let me tell you, for some reason, I can't get Julie Chen off my mind. I just love her. her. She is in her bunker. Also, smooth transition. Office services. Advise the company on what? Like how to sexually harass women in the office? Also, guys, office services is probably millions of dollars. I know. Yeah. That's what that is. He's going to get those coins. Oh, he is. Roseanne got her coins. (laughs) He's going to get his coins. Imagine being worried about Les Moonves. Like, yeah. Here's the other thing. Like, when the allegations first surfaced, um, they were like really slow to react to it. I feel like they were like, well, we hired some lawyers and they're going to look into it and we're going to look into it. And meanwhile, he's going to be here. And then. The second story drops and are like, holy shit, oh yeah, we have to do this. Like, what What the fuck was that? I don't know, but I felt like... You don't need to wait for a sequel in order to move on this. I yeah. felt like Ronan was like, you know what? Let me speed this up. I got something for you, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and he did. He did. And then also, of course, in the, the hubbub, we learned that um, he is as big of a dick as we all assumed he was, and he uh, reportedly tried to ruin Janet Jackson's career after the Super Bowl boob flash. Yeah, um, Yashar Ali posted a piece in the Huffington Post where he interviewed people who said that Moonvest deliberately tried to derail Janet's music career because she didn't sufficiently apologize to him. 
Uh, for the Super Bowl. For yeah. the Super Bowl. Uh, and we know that she did issue an apology, but apparently she didn't come crawling to him on grovel. her hands and knees mm-hmm. like Justin Timberlake allegedly did to save his little crying. I, crying. Yeah. I think the silver lining of this story is I do get to think about Justin Timberlake crying, which is just funny. Sorry. I think he cries. <laughs> is it slightly high-pitched? I, I mean, he, that's how I, that's how my crying is. I think he cries every time he looks at the sales from Man of the Woods. Oh, my oh God. God. <laughs> it was topical humor. What, are you on the panel at Chelsea lately? What is this? As if I could not hate this man more. No, he's trapped. Finding out yeah. about the Janet stuff was really just the... Also, the thing about the chef's kiss, the Janet stuff, I think people have started to um, and we talked about it uh, during the Super Bowl earlier this year. But I think people are finally starting to accept that, like, she was railroaded and blacklisted after the Super Bowl. And like, I feel like at least initially people didn't really accept that or it was just sort of like, no, she fell off. It's like, no. A bunch of white dudes were like, we can't have this. She didn't she didn't cry and apologize and like made concerted efforts to make her less successful. Well, in 14 years, bitch, in 14 years, people will accept the truth about Serena. Right. right? Yeah. Um, But no, the the idea that Janet, you know, fell off after that. She was releasing yeah, hit albums. bangers. Yeah, that was when All For okay. You came out. She yeah. also, she married a billionaire and had a baby. That's what she was doing. She was minding her own business like a wealthy heiress. Right. And was off wherever she was. In an emirate. Yes. And just living her life. Fell off. I mean, if Madonna has been popping up to award shows for the past few <laughs> years, like ruining people's tributes. <laughs> tributes. Janet could have been doing some of that if it weren't for Les Moonves. <laughs> I, I will say about her, I feel like we've talked about this before. She's somebody who like doesn't do a lot of interviews, so you could almost trick yourself into believing like, oh, it's just natural she would go away like that. Makes it just as easy for somebody to be like, like Les Moonves to be like, and that's enough of her for a while. But seeing her now, you notice that like she's really part of the original old school that inspired people like Beyonce and Rihanna and how they interact with the press now because like Janet is doing a lot of interviews right now for her new song and was doing stuff for her tour when that's over she's gonna go back to her island (laughs) and be like goodbye (laughs) but when you know hopefully an album comes out of this new single then she will be back giving you interviews Buy my album, y'all. And then she will leave again. And I'm sure she won't say anything about Les Moonves. Oh, she I'm won't. I'm sure she'll... No, um... do you think her reaction was just like, I'm so mad, and that's it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's garbage. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, not really... I mean, like, I... The thing with these situations, like, obviously, I'm glad he's gone. And, of course, I don't love that he's going to be exiting with millions and millions of dollars and, like, his life will be fine. Like I've said, all of these men will be fine. I just have to maybe sit in, like, the bruised ego of of it all because these types of people, like, that is that sort of public persona and, like, that ego were very important to him. And I just have to take some solace in, like, that's as close to a punishment for him, um, his own embarrassment as, as we're going to get. And I wonder what this will mean for CBS going forward, because as we've known, um, less has been this culture for years. It is why so many of CBS's shows are just white male driven and they've barely had shows, you know, with women in the lead, um, the only really big successful ones are currently Mom and then there was The Good Wife mm-hmm. before that. You know, because there's also the reporting from Maureen Ryan, who has been, you know, just constantly hounding CBS over the fact that they renewed the overall deal for producer Brad Kern, produces NCIS New Orleans, and he has had a slew of allegations mm-hmm. against him too and they sort of dragged their feet or did that you know like we couldn't find anything like they did with less early on mm-hmm. and it's like does Ronan Farrow need to do the hit piece <laughs> on him is that gonna make you care you know I really am just going to be looking for what changes in CBS because bringing up Maureen Ryan again she was one of the initial people who kept reporting about the fact that FX was only doing shows about white men created by white men and John Landgraf surprisingly was like you know what we're right we need to fix this Mm -hmm. and now 
look at what FX is doing yeah. with different creators, and women it, and men and people of color. And it's only by journalists continuing to hound TV producers and networks that will get change. Yeah. And then we also saw this week with Olivia Munn and um, for all you love it or leave it listeners, this was my this is my rant about the movie Predator and the director Shane Black, who had hired a friend of his who Olivia Munn had to fucking figure it out and realize that he was a registered sex offender and spent six months in jail, pled guilty to felony charges, one of which was soliciting a 14 year old online for a sexual relationship. And she was at the um, Toronto International Film Festival this week and she gave an interview and none of her fucking castmates were there. They were supposed to be there to do the interview with her and they weren't there. Sterling K. Brown was is in the movie but he was like off shooting This Is Us and he tweeted in support and said he he apologized that she was alone. Um, but it was just such a good and example. Um, Rhodes and Augusto Aguilera uh, finally joined Olivia for a sit down with the LA Times. Finally. Um, but it was like a real, it was just an example of like, it when you see that as a woman, it's really sad because you're just like, oh, you guys really don't care because you're not as upset. She was clearly so upset by this um, and really felt, I think, like violated by the fact that she was the only person who was in a scene with this man and no one mentioned this to her. And like just to see that there was no real urgency from the other men involved in the film to step up. It's like you're like, oh, this you don't you don't really care that much you're not really you're not as upset as she is about this and like they all should be upset they all should be upset for her also i mean like the fact that they didn't spring to her defense like that minute is telling because the fact is the the director must have must have thought this was not going to get out he's friends with this person and clearly thought he, knew his he could get away history. right he exactly later characterized it as i didn't know the full story yeah he was like oh, now that i've read the affidavit affidavit and i said if my friend if tomorrow Ira pleads guilty to soliciting a 14-year-old, I don't have a lot of other questions. I don't think that right. there's an explanation that would be satisfactory to me to say, oh, no, let's give him another chance. That's a deal breaker for me personally. Why has it got to be Ira? <laughs> <laughs> but no, his, his friend has a felony conviction. He pled guilty. He pled guilty. I don't know how you can be close friends with someone and not know that they pled guilty right. to soliciting and a minor. Like, I, I oh, said, it's 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 not what you think. Right. <laughs> and I, I said this on Love It or Leave It, but like, like middle class or upper middle class white men who plead guilty to crimes, like they did it. They 100% did it. There's no chance he didn't do this. Like he's, if he thought he could have gotten away with it, you know he would have tried. You know that if there was any chance that they're like, they might let this white man off, he was going to find a way. I was like, oh, he knew that there was no way out of this. But also, kudos to Olivia Munn for handling this nonsense. I'll say exceptionally well for being a completely unusual situation in movies. I mean, like, I can't... What's a comparable situation where, like, oh, by the way, guess who's lingering in the background? Somebody you should be fucking afraid of. Woody Allen? Yeah, I mean... (laughs) Like, scene partners? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He's in all his movies. That's true, that's true. But that was the thing, that she had to figure... (laughs) That she had to figure it out herself and... Alert, and like alert the studio herself is crazy. Yeah, it's it's wild too that we're even at a point where everyone has been like, "Me too." Time's up. Whatever, and they couldn't even go to bat for a convicted right, a, sex offender like who's in your case. movie. Yeah, no one is going to get mad at you, right. and if you're mad that Shane Black's going to get mad at you, he is barely making good movies anymore. <laughs> Predator's apparently trash. <laughs> so I think you're fine. It's It's been a minute since the last Boy Scout. Right, and she like <laughs> she was really going, and the thing is, like you see Olivia Munn, where she was going out on a limb and potentially risking her career or future work or her which reputation. Is wild, which is crazy for a convicted felon. I should, be watching, I should be watching this footage of her and being like, wow, what a, cr- a risky move. She's really right. out on a ledge but here. But you could see that she felt like this was, this was like maybe something that could come back to bite her and that she did it anyway. And it's just like, if like if we can't just say, wow, this person who obviously did this thing, who's admitted to do this thing, like is a bad person, like Jesus Christ, like it just feels like there's no hope. Well, um, what's interesting is that this man is going to record an album with Nicki Minaj next week. <laughs> oh. So, um, <laughs> well, that's lucky. <laughs> Even Kanye West was just in the studio with that Star Sixty Seven person I, too. That- I. 
that that demon the, the, rainbow. Just, I did not know. I can't even that. see Kanye West under the amount of canceled stamps the, we put on him. The success for sex offenders jumped out this year. I apparently. mean, this is the, the, the degree to which nobody cares about. I don't even know what the fuck his name is. Six six x seven, whatever the hell. Seven eight nine. Seven, seven eight nine. <laughs> One, like two, three, if, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. But it's 10, like you're 11, like, oh, n- no one cares about women. <laughs> like that's what I'm like. That's the only thing I do. It's like, oh, you just don't care at all. Linking it back to less too, and speaking of women, I get that there is also this conversation now where people are going to be like, Julie Chen, what's good? Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is. A little bit like the Georgina Chapman stuff mm-hmm. of, you know, do we blame this woman? The Amber Heard. Yes, yeah. for being connected with a man, you know. Um, I don't know. The difference here is I think that Julie Chen keeps releasing statements being <laughs> like, I'm supporting my husband Girl, we and know. my family. And Yashar retweeted that video right after the Janet Jackson incident where she basically went on the talk and repeated the party line about how Janet Jackson didn't apologize, knowing full well that Janet Jackson did apologize. She just knew that Janet didn't apologize how her husband wanted her to. That was a, it's a very interesting video because it's not exactly incriminating of Julie Chen, but it's just she's playing an angle on Janet Jackson. It was very weird well, she's a, because she's, a she's good... so impar- impartial, generally speaking, yeah. anyway. She's like very difficult to kind of read. And I keep yeah. watching that video being like, are you pulling a stunt here? Right. You yeah. know she hates all those people in the Big Brother house. Right. But, also, but she pulls it off very well. It's just... Well, the other thing is, like, she had, and we've talked about that, she had, like, a real journalistic career. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, you know what wouldn't be me? She was dodging what, bombs. You know what wouldn't be me? I'm doing... I'm dodging bombs. I'm out here. Do, I gotta go do the talk every damn day. And I let my dumbass husband cloud my actual achievements for being an idiot who can't just, like, stop touching women right wouldn't be me girl i mean like god bless her that's her husband that's her family i you know i don't know i i don't know but like i i I don't know that it would be i it's also like (laughs) i I mean you do not want to like speculate about like what she does or how they got together but they got together when he she was working for cbs so it's basically like any of those other women that he assaulted could have been his wife. Right. It only worked on Julie Chen. Yeah. (laughs) When we're back, a conversation on Mac Miller and Ariana Grande. Plus, we're joined by Jenny Han, author of To All the Boys I Loved Before. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Nike, Walmart, and Zappos. And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you can get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers. And Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. On Friday, September 7th, 26-year-old rapper Mac Miller died from a reported drug overdose. Miller has been very candid about his addiction and mental health challenges over the years, and this news comes just weeks after the release of his new studio album, Swimming. Many celebrities and fans took to social media to pay their respects, and yet somehow, 
TMZ and other outlets found a way to drag Mac Miller's ex-girlfriend, Ariana Grande, into all of this. In a disgusting low, similar to when she was blamed for Mac totaling his car and getting a DUI shortly after the couple split earlier this year, TMZ brought up her name in the mention of his death, saying that his fall back into drug use was probably related to her breaking up with him. Are we all shocked that people started blaming Ariana Grande? No. Immediately. No, not at all. If a woman is associated with a man, I mean, you know, had it coming, all these things, et cetera. (laughs) What were your initial thoughts when you heard about, you know, the whole Ariana being blamed thing? Yeah, I mean, I at least, even to back up, like, I've been really surprised how sad I found the death of Mac Miller. Like, someone I wasn't even, I wasn't even really, like, a huge fan of his, and I've since, like, revisited his music. And I think one of the overwhelming things that I've heard said about him since he's died is, like, how much progress he made with his music. And he's sort of this artist where you look at him and see that, I think Doreen St. Felix said this in her piece for him about The New Yorker, you feel like he was maybe, like, an album or two away from, like, a really excellent piece of art and so it really feels like something was lost and I I also strangely feel like he's one of the first like real millennial aged artists that we've lost where you really feel like they were cut down before they really got to be great and I think that's maybe why um, maybe why it sort of feels so unsettling and and also just every I have not seen a bad story about him everyone who has interacted with him was friends with him by all accounts, he was like a really just like decent, good person. Um, so it's been really sad. No, because when we talk about, you know, empathy for people who have, you know, a drug addiction, um, this sort of epitomizes that, I feel like, because this is, he is a rapper who, by all the stories we've heard, had this addiction and was very open about it and was publicly struggling with it, but also not using that as an excuse to be abusive and awful to people. Right, right. He also, just like a month before he died, we got that incredible profile on him. Who wrote that? I, was it in Vulture or something? At any rate, it was a very in-depth... It was It was written a month before he died, and it came out like two days before he right, died. Right, yes. It was like, it really but got Craig into Jenkins. like, not just why he was such a uh, special performer and writer, but like got into kind of like the whimsicality he had and just like sort of an effervescence as a personality. So it's just, it's it, it's like poetically the worst that he just died days after that. I just felt like that piece really said something about who he was as a person that you wouldn't have gathered from like, you know, tabloid pieces, TMZ type pieces. And I think that album is beautiful, actually. Yeah. Uh, I've been listening to it. So. And The Divine Feminine. Yes, and his, his last one. I, I too also had sort of forgotten that I really enjoyed Max music. Yeah. I had forgotten that this album had even come out, yeah. to be honest, because it only came out a few weeks ago. Yeah. So it's just been nice revisiting it, and it's sad that Ariana has sort of had to deal with losing someone who was obviously important to her and you know, also having the media sort of turn it against her. Right now, we're going to shift gears a bit to talk to New York Times bestselling author, Jenny Han. She's written Suge, the Summer I Turned Pretty series, and the To All the Boys I've Loved Before trilogy, the first of which has been turned into a film for Netflix. Hi, Jenny. Hi. Thanks for having me, guys. If you want a movie where you can just sit and giggle and feel at home, you better turn on that movie. Oof. Deeply cute. Almost criminally cute. Thank you so much. Jenny, I know in particular, I really wanted to ask you about the fact that you wrote this book trilogy um, about, you know, Lara Jean, this lovely girl looking for love. And most of the stories, I feel like we love um, Noah Centennial in the movie, um, but I feel like a lot of the stories coming out the past few weeks have been largely about him and not about Lana Condor, the actual star of the movie. I think that's true. Um, I think maybe it's because, um, I don't know, women seem to have really like kind of locked on to this character, Peter Kavinsky, and also Noah Centineo, just as a person. Um, and he's just having this big moment. But I think that Lana, you know, she's just so special to me, and she is so such a bright 
star in the movie. And I think, I don't know, I hope that going forward, people will kind of give her the same sort of love. Yeah, I mean, I I think, you know, to relate it to, um, although obviously the movie is delightful and um, what happened to Mac Miller is incredibly tragic and sad, but um, you think about Ariana Grande, she had a terrible, like, year. Mm -hmm. Like, that Manchester bombing was not that long ago. And she and Mac Miller only ended their relationship, like, in May of 2018. And so, like, I think to not take a second and think, like, this is like this is hard for her. Like mm-hmm. you got and like fans I know feel very strongly about people, but like that's her real life and like she is hurting in a way that like you can't possibly fathom. Um and I think to like the way that we just shift to like how women are affecting men um is is not good. It reminds me so much of like um being in elementary school and oftentimes when the teacher would leave the room she would say to the girls like watch over the boys and make sure they don't like, do anything bad mm. you know and I think it's the thing that goes back all the way to being kids and it kind of still filters into being an adult this idea that women are responsible for the actions of men I think also I mean like we were talking about Serena Williams earlier there's I think there's still this pervasive idea that like Women have to have consciences on behalf of everybody. Otherwise, no one will have them. Mm. Like, we've already given up on men doing the work of being, you know, emotionally available for other people. So we need women to, like, provide this, like, spine, you know, this uh, this nerve consciousness for everybody else. I, I will say, Jenny, I think that you have created perhaps the only good man <laughs> I've seen. <laughs> Um, in Peter Kavinsky. And like, I think that the, one of the reasons that people have really, women have glommed onto that character is like, it does not feel like men are getting any better. And, and he was like such a sweet understanding male character. And like, I think that was a, I think that's something that felt very refreshing where he had like an emotional honesty and like real concern and care for this, this young woman. He did. And it's funny because I think in the books, he might be a little bit more rough, mm-hmm. not rough, but maybe a little bit more cocky, a little bit, you know, um, more flawed. But I think that Noah's performance just really elevates that, um, the vulnerability that the character does have. And um, going into you writing this book, what was it about this story that really compelled you to want to tell, you know, a story about this young girl and basically the the men in her life who affected her and, you know, how she became the woman that she is. I was thinking a lot about girls that we see less of in media where they just want to, like, low-key be home and, like, bake brownies <laughs> in, <laughs> in their pajamas and not be out. You know, and I think, for me, I was thinking a lot about how they're all different valid ways to be a teenage girl. You know, and you could be out every night. I think that's also great. But, you know, I wanted to sort of celebrate the more of the hermity type of girl. Which uh, makes me think, like, when you write a character like this, what characters did you love growing up that you thought, like, oh, my God, what a breath of fresh air that that character exists, that that person represents something outside the norm of what we expect from teenage characters? I was really into, like, Christy from Babysitter's Club books. Oh, oh my God. (laughs) Because she's so bossy. Christy and Claudia. Oh, loved Claudia. Yeah, Yeah, I loved Claudia. I mean, as an Asian girl, I was always like, I'm Claudia, but I knew I wasn't Claudia. But she was was the coolest one. (laughs) She was the coolest one. She had the best style and Mm -hmm. best clothes. I was definitely more of a Mallory. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay to be a Mallory. It's okay. I know. You know, I only ever read the Babysitter Club Mysteries. I just, oh my god I just, why I, I, I just wanted them solving murders <laughs> not you know popping popcorn I also only listened read mur- mysteries growing up like why did I want to be Encyclopedia Brown so bad why did I want to like solve murders with my dad because there were murders <laughs> happening all around me and I just had to make sense of it meanwhile Jenny and I <laughs> wanted to sit in our room with our with our four or five closest friends around a telephone and take appointments for babysitting and eat you- snacks have you thought of writing the Lara Jean mysteries, <laughs> Jenny? 
never, you know, never. <laughs> Mysteries are really hard, guys. <laughs> it's a real skill. What do you What do you hope um, to see? I mean, like I, I've seen people calling this month like Asian August, which is kind of a. I feel like they could have done better with that title. Um, but after the success <laughs> of Crazy Rich Asians and um, and with and with to all the boys that I've loved before, um, I'm wondering if you feel how you feel sort of being swept up in all of that. I mean, yeah, who could have known, right? It's not like I knew this movie would come out at the same time as Crazy Rich Asians or Searching or anything else. And I think I think it's exciting to be a part of a moment. Um, I just hope that we'll just get more stuff, you know, like it'll, uh, for people to see that we're in the marathon, it's going to be, it's going to be work moving forward to keep it, the momentum going. Mm-hmm. I keep thinking about the words Asian August. It's barely alliterative. I just doesn't fall off the tongue. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Crazy Asian August. That's that's better. Yes. <laughs> Let's go with a pun, not alliteration. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, what's next for you, Jenny? What's next? Well, a lot, I guess. I don't know. I've been so busy. <laughs> I've been really busy, guys. What are you having for I mean, lunch? Sheen, a New York Times bestselling author, sounds like a walk in the park. Yeah, you did that. Well, you know what? Actually, being an author <laughs> is a walk in the park compared to, I think, the the movie stuff. Because when you're an author, it's just you that you're worried about. You know, you and your fans. But it's such a smaller world um, compared to having a movie being seen by millions of people. It's really different. Do you feel more protective uh, knowing that, like, just the exponential growth and the number of people who are now familiar with your work? More protective over myself or over the work? Over or? the work, Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's weird because I think I kept saying that YA, the young adult world, is kind of like Pooh's Corner compared to <laughs> Hollywood and um, having a movie out. It's all very overwhelming and exciting, um, but it's a lot. That's that not really nice. negative. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds depressing. No, I don't mean it that way. By the way, also because he was in this movie, John Corbett also qualified. Mm-hmm. He like became four times more adorable simply by being in the movie. God, I'm so happy he was in the movie. He was He's great. so cute. He's great. I love John Corbett. And he, you know, I'm not an Aiden person, so there you have it. I'm an Aiden person. I'm Who not. isn't an Aiden person? Get, yeah. Too boring. That C- Carrie is exciting. She didn't deserve him. <laughs> yeah, she didn't. She surely did not. <laughs> she was trash. <laughs> Unlike Laura Jean, who is a delight, a delight, a yes. delight. I was trying to think of the antonym to trash. What is it like? <laughs> a garden, a garden, a gem? Of delight is really Laura Jean. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, she's she's droll and <laughs> observant and emotional and honest. She, she should solve some mysteries. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Jenny. Thanks so much, guys. The book is To All the Boys I've Loved Before. You have so many other books. It's a trilogy, for one, and I just got the second one, uh, P.S. I Still Love You. So I can't wait to read that. I'll be very curious to see what you think. Okay, I will let you know on Twitter. (laughs) In the DMs, in the DMs. DMs. (laughs) What if you don't like it? I'm sure I'll love it. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow.
and we're back. <laughs> it's time for keep it, y'all. It is. Kara, what is your keep it? What's the tea? <sighs> the tea. So uh, this Sunday, there was a new episode of Insecure, which I think was maybe their best episode yet. It was excellent. They were at Coachella. It I was knew amazing. this was going to be your keep it. So my keep it is not... <laughs> So it also included the reappearance of Lawrence, who I thought we were done with. And my keep it is not to Lawrence or to the show, because I think that they are smart and there is a longer game plan and I trust them and I trust Issa. My keep it is to the Lawrence Hive. They are out of control. Awful. Out and of just control. came out of the woodwork as soon as they saw Lawrence. And if you want to see the clearest example of a man I'm least likely to be romantically interested in, <laughs> look no further than the Lawrence Hive. They're just so obnoxious and like it doesn't these aren't real people. These are like Lawrence isn't real. And it's really just like it's these dudes who like wanted Lawrence to get away with being a fuck boy when even like Jay Ellis and unlike sane men are like, no, he was like a shitty boyfriend period for a period of time. Like he wasn't he wasn't exemplifying behavior that we should be <laughs> that we should be engaging in. And everyone else seems to be able to acknowledge that um, except for the Lawrence Hive. And I hate you. It's it's so baffling how they are unable to have any sort of constructive conversation. Yeah. It's even some trash women like him, too. I know. It's like um, the lovely Angelica Bastion wrote a review of the episode where she was like, you know, I don't think we need Lawrence back in the show. No one read it. The responses were just, you just don't like Lawrence. Admit it. It's yeah. like... And, and like I'm, ha- I'm excited to see where we go with this. I just now it's like, oh, we got to deal with the Lawrence Hive that is that is ugh, just like already. I'm tired. Of my you. keep it for that episode is them going uh, beach out and not even seeing oh, B. I know, I know. But also, I feel like I think I saw this tweet somewhere where someone was like, the Venn diagram of like Killmonger stands and the Lawrence Hive is just a circle. It's like the same type of like ancient dudes who are really just like no, but I think they both we just don't understand understand them the, um, they also listen to justin timberlake the preview for <laughs> the preview for next week's episode where it says lawrence is back i have to say i was like gulp like, like they sort of like were it looked chipper kind of yeah. lawrence is back i know <laughs> and he's killing everybody <laughs> it's halloween <laughs> what's your key fit all right this is just a basic key. I, I again i hope to be more specific in the future but keep it to the season of fall Get ready. Fuck out of here. Guess what nobody has ever said? What's the song of the fall going to be? You know why? Because it's a season of morbidity and death and gargoyles. It is not fun. Summer is when you smile. Because it's always fallout boys from under a cork tree. Oh, that's weird. Don't say that. (laughs) Uh, People, when they love fall, say things like, I love sweaters. Yes, I also love fabrics. I'm not like here saying like cotton is uncomfortable or whatever. I'm just saying if you love the warmth of a sweater, do you know what you'd also like? The sun, which provides a lot of warmth and fills you with endorphins. I'd like a quick rebuttal because I think fall is a perfect season. And I think this is this is gonna be this is gonna be so cliche, but I think you have to have experienced a fall in New York in part because it is when I look best. There is no other time in New York where anyone looks good. Because in in no no no, but also the summer it's too fucking hot. Everyone's sweaty and gross and humid all the time. It's unpretentious. The, The spring, no. And then the winter, everyone's bundled up and then you get all hot when you get on the subway. The fall is perfect. I'm never sweaty. I look good. My hair stays. My makeup is set. Your outfits are the best. You're not too covered up. Like it is, no one looks better than a than someone, a well-dressed person in New York in the fall. I just think it's terribly boring. And I also, Halloween, I don't need permission to dress in drag. I don't need permission to dress slutty. That is what the either. summer is for. I, I don't want to claim it as a black people thing. I'm just saying fall is an excellent season. I think many will agree with me, and I think we'll we'll see that when this airs. So mine is also for angry people on the internet. Uh, the band Paramore decided that they do not want to sing their song "Misery Business" anymore in live sets. Um, Haley Williams says that she now recognizes that the song is, you know, misogynistic. It's slut shaming. You know, it's it's a song about a woman singing about. A girl who's trying to take her man, basically. And then fans are starting to get upset online saying that if people weren't being 
woke and saying that the song was misogynistic, that she would still be playing it. <laughs> I'm like, how about you just accept that this woman does not like the song that she recorded before and doesn't want to sing it anymore? <laughs> so many people decide that they don't want to sing lyrics to songs that they made up 15 years ago or so because they were different people then, and they've say, matured. It reminds me of uh, uh, Eric Clapton doesn't do Tears in Heaven anymore. Mind you, that's about and his son who died. But, I, yeah. I think he still performs a song, but I know Jay-Z has been like, Big Pimpin' is like kind yeah. of embarrassing now in retrospect. We talked about Eminem last week, which was so weird that he had his new album, Kamikaze, looked like the License to Ill cover from the Beastie Boys' album, because the Beastie Boys publicly were like we didn't like the misogynistic hateful lyrics and that and so they would change the lyrics of those songs later or not perform some of them yeah. it's like artists have done this all the time and these are just a bunch of annoying people online and it's their music it's their music it's her music and by the way it's not like you can't listen to the song anymore yeah right. like jay yeah. said people want my old shit buy my old album right <laughs> we can't buy them jay-z though <laughs> unless you get title which I believe you can only access on uh, an original <laughs> PlayStation. Actually, weirdly enough, you know, YouTube just launched like YouTube music. Mm -hmm. All of Jay Z's albums are on it. Yeah. Another streaming app I don't want. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, that's our show this week. Hopefully, there'll be less horrible news last week. I know. I was, it was stressful coming here. Hopefully, Sorry. all the men will be dead, right. <laughs> <laughs> including me. Take me. <laughs> Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. 